On George Kennedy is my co-pilot, we look at the lengthy, always unique career of one of the finest character actors to ever live, George Kennedy. On this episode, we're looking at the technology-tinged suspense thriller, The Human Factor, from 1975. Welcome to George Kennedy is my co-pilot, a podcast devoted to George Kennedy. What a concept. I'm Doug Tilly, and with me as usual is my co-host on Cinema Smorgasbord Podcast. It's Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing today, Liam? Doug, I'm pretty good, man. How's it going for you, sir, in this wintry uh, environment? It's it's fine. Things are perfectly okay, but this is something <laughs> that I haven't revealed on one of our podcasts yet, Liam, that I am now two weeks into vegan living uh, in the year 2022. Mm-hmm, I have, mm-hmm. for a combination of reasons, decided to uh, forego meat. Mostly uh, for- to save Gaia, right? You're saving Gaia? I'm saving everybody. I'm also saving my own conscience because, to be honest, Liam, this was provoked by a series of guiltful feelings I've been fe- feeling probably for the sure. past decade. Yeah. So. <laughs> and it's pushed me away from meat and also meat prices increasing and wanting to put more vegetables in my diet. And also, you know, uh, the recognition that pigs and my beautiful animals that I have in my house as pets really have the same levels of intelligence. All sorts of things combined. Uh, and also not wanting to be part of the system, Liam. And that's the one thing I really want to reinforce. I don't want to be part also, also of you the worship system. Satan. Yes, well, huh? Satan. Huh? That's pretty good. Uh, uh. So th- I'm two weeks in, Liam. I'm, yeah. a, I'm officially a soy boy, uh, as they say. Yes. Um, and, I'm, uh, I'm and more I'm, of a tempeh boy myself. I know, I know. But, uh, but, but I'm feeling pretty good about it, Liam. So far, so good. I don't know what I'm going to do after this month. It was a kind of a test to be vegan for a month, see what uh, what happens. But then I read somebody on Facebook saying that people who are vegan and then decide to go back are like worse than people who just ate meat in the first place. Why? Why would make? Uh, okay. I didn't really read more about it, but it made me feel awfully <laughs> anxious. <laughs> Uh, but but Liam, I feel like I'm talking a lot when you should be telling me how you are doing here uh, on the George Kennedy podcast. George Kennedy is my co-pilot. Well, today I watched for the sixth time Encanto uh, with with my daughter. She loves it. Children's film, I hear. Yeah, well, that's why I'm watching it so much is because she's <laughs> she's obsessed. She's obsessed with it. I like. Here's the thing. I like it. Uh, but you know, enough to watch it this many times. No, there is it, for someone who loves movies. I'm not really a movie rewatcher. Sure. So, um, rewatching something like this is really a test of my endurance. But I will say, like, there's this one moment at the end that every time it happens, I still get a little emotional. I'm like, oh, okay, all right. Little but a little theme here on the 2022 episodes. I know. I know. of Liam getting emotional. Liam, what's the most times you watched a movie that you did not care for? Because of your daughter wanted to watch it. Oh Jesus! Um, probably Frozen. I'm not a big <laughs> Frozen fan. Uh, I've watched that a good deal. No, actually, the most would be Frozen. But emotionally, the most is this Barbie movie she loves, uh, <laughs> where where Barbie becomes a, a fucking mermaid or some shit. Uh, she's we watched it so many times, and it's not that many. T- like I've definitely seen Frozen more, but the emotional weight of that Barbie movie, it's like every time it's on, I'm like. Fuck. It's like a real test of my willpower not to just lose my shit. When it's a movie like Encanto, which I imagine you do like, 
uh, and she has interest in rewatching it, do you push her to do it? It's like, okay, let's watch that one because at least I can enjoy it when we're rewatching it for the sixth time. I think so. I, well, yeah, I think so. I mean, I would always prefer to introduce her to something she doesn't know as like a fun, like, let's check this thing out together. But sure. I will say like in this context, this was also, I was hoping a pretense for a nap that the movie would be on and then I would get to sleep. That was like the Oh, hope. you, your nap. I thought, okay. <laughs> no, she's not going to go to sleep. Doug and Kanto's on. She's got to see the part with Bruno and the babies. She loves that. We don't talk is. about Bruno, Doug. That's what you got to understand. Well, a project of this magnitude, Liam, requires a ringer. Someone equally excited to devote years of their life to examining the output of George Kennedy. You know her work from Talk Film Society, Looper, and My Old Stomping Grounds, Daily Grindhouse, and elsewhere. It's Sarah Jane. How are you doing today, Sarah? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing so great, but I'll tell you, I've already kind of been talking about myself too much. I want to know what else. <laughs> Sarah, at the end of the show, we're going to talk about where people can find your latest work, but you've been doing some writing lately. What have you been writing about? Uh, well, I've mainly been doing reviews for the Austin Chronicle. So mm -hmm. um, I did Marry Me mm -hmm. the other day. Um, not so great. Uh, short version of the review right there <laughs> uh, yes i reviewed jackass forever which you i did. just i just took my son to see it um it sounds like bad parenting because he's 11 but um <laughs> perfect you know, age perfect age mm -hmm. yeah he, he loved it is it was this your son's first experience with the jackass crew yeah i think he's seen clips on youtube mm. because he watches youtube all the time and I know he has a friend who, uh, a friend at school who had already seen it. Right. So I think he might have seen some clips there, but um, I don't think he's sat down and watched an entire show or anything. Now, Sarah, I'm still afraid to go to a movie theater. I'm just one of those people who, maybe it's because I'm a soy boy now, but I just am afraid to be <laughs> in that room full of people. But I do want to ask a question about this Jackass movie, even though this is a George Kennedy themed podcast. I want to sure. know. How much shit is in it? Is there a lot of shit in the new Jackass movie? Like literal, sh literal like, human shit. There's a couple uh, <laughs> of scenes. Somebody, uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm gonna laugh. It's okay. Somebody is in a porta potty, and you know, so that gets knocked over, and there's shit everywhere. But somebody actually shits their pants. Oh. And so you see, you know, like a little brown stain. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Even the camera guy like starts throwing up in his mask. It was funny. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny to me. It's Sorry, funny. I just like how you said throws up in his mask just to remind us that this is <laughs> a modern film. <laughs> yes, he did. Um, you know, dick punching is never not funny. So mm -hmm. I, you know, I'm fully on board with that movie. I gave it four stars. Oh, four stars. Dick punching. Ahoy. Liam O'Donnell, your feelings on human shit in movies. Do you have a problem <laughs> with it? I Obviously, I have a bit of an issue. I don't really like seeing it in my movies. I don't want to be a prude, but it's just something I have a bit of an issue with. I mean, you are talking to a co-host of your uh, Yodorowsky podcast. Yeah, where <laughs> I know. human shit gets literally turned to gold. So, yeah. Um, no, I'm in. I'm into it, man. I, I'm down. Um, uh <laughs> Uh, okay, I'll be honest. It's actually the only of all the horrible things that have happened in all of these jackass movies. Yes. The only part that actually does make me squirm is the parts with human shit. And I yeah. and and I know for you, you feel comfortable. I feel like a wuss saying that. I feel like I should be able to if I can handle the puking and the the genital uh, torture and uh, <laughs> the whatever else is going on. Then like a little How bit. The, of, um, 
How about the paper cuts in the webbing of the fingers and toes? Uh, yeah, none uh, of that. None of that bums me. None of that bums me out. And then this shit comes out, and I go, oh, that's gross." But like, why? Like, who cares? But like, I I am a little grossed out by it. that. Being said, knowing there's human shit in Jackass isn't going to make me not see it. Like, yeah, I I. I went to the first Jackass in the theater thinking, there's no way this is going to be good. And then I've seen every subsequent Jackass in the theater. Me too. Ready to be like, this is the one where finally these guys fucking fail at being funny. And every time I'm like, no, they're still fu- this is still funny. It's still funny. I don't think, I don't think I've laughed more in theaters than in those movies where it's just this. And, and they work better in those crowds of people. Even yes, these people that, yes. you know, outside of this cinema, I probably would despise every one of them. That's just how I feel about crowds. But in that, in the midst of that, it just felt like we were having a shared experience. And it, that's why it bothers me. That's why I'm not very happy about my soy boyishness, about not going out to see this movie. And in fact, uh, boy, I feel pressured, but but I don't know. It, it, I, maybe I have a little bit of time to make that decision, though the full houses are probably uh, not going to be happening anymore at this point. Yeah, I, um, I'm a little torn. I, th- I think... I think I wouldn't go to a movie necessarily right this very moment unless it was like a matinee. Like I, that's just not, I just also feel a little anxious, but I think within the next few weeks, either it's going to be better or I'm just not going to care anymore. I think, right. the, <laughs> I think my ability to care, Doug, which has been, as you know, very strong for the entirety of this pandemic. So it's been mm-hmm. years of me really caring. I just can't, like care anymore like i just really can't and so like i just think it's going to get to a point where i'm like you know what i'm going and if i if i get got if this is it and i get got then i got got and that's just how it is because i just can't i can't do it anymore i i i i think i'm done avoiding everything at this well, point i will say that there are people who also have uh been fed up with this whole situation, Liam, here in my home country of Canada. And what they've decided to do is march on <laughs> Ottawa. So um, if you want to join them, uh, I mean, good I, luck. To, to, be, to, be, to be fair, how many of those people actually have done any – like the people who complain the most are also the people who you know haven't actually sacrificed anything during these couple years. Like it's always people How dare like, you, sir? <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> Sarah, I was interrupting you. You had something to say? I was just going to say that I, you know, do care about uh, getting sick, mm-hmm. and but it might not seem like it if I'm going to the movies all the time. But to be fair, when I saw Jackass, it was a press screening, and so awesome. there was awesome. like, you know, 10 people in there, and so there was no one around me. And then today, there was probably about 10 people in there, and we were all s- spread out pretty well, so... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I went I went to a screening of West Side Story knowing full well that I was going to be pretty loaded there. And guess what? I was definitely – I was in a theater with five other people. Mm. <laughs> so, like, definitely I was not like, oh, no, I'm going to get COVID. I'm like, yeah, we're cool. This is good. I'm fine. I also don't make any sense because I work at a university, and I am currently in lecture halls every single day full of people, many more than I would find. But that's uh, your job, Doug. You it's my job. job. It is. That's true. I don't want to get sick in my spare time, especially because getting sick. <laughs> <laughs> would mean I can't do my job. But going back to what we were talking about previously, angry people in vehicles, that's actually one of the things we're going to talk about in this opening segment. You see, listeners, George Kennedy, yes, this is a George Kennedy-themed podcast. <laughs> um, he did a lot of commercials in his lengthy career, and one of them was for a vehicle in 1980 called the Dodge Omni Miser. Uh, now, he only appears very briefly in this commercial, but uh, I think you'll be able to pick out his voice. Li- uh, Liam, why don't you uh, play it for us right now? 
America's not going to be pushed around anymore. Dodge announces an historic breakthrough, the new Omni Miser with the highest Ooh. highway mileage any American car has ever achieved. Miser squeezes out more gasoline mileage than Toyota Corona, more than Honda Accord, more than VW Rabbit, more than the world car four-door Ford Escort, and at a lower price, only $52.99. Omni Miser at your Dodge Ram dealer. Now Dodge fights high interest rates with 6% off all new 81 cars. Get three twenty-five okay. dollars So that's the commercial direct. for the 1980 Dodge Omni Miser. Can you just play the beginning of it just for a second again? Liam? America's not going to be pushed around anymore. Dodge. Okay, you can cut it off now. That was anymore. George Kennedy telling us that America is not going to be pushed around anymore. No. Uh, want to get some general thoughts from the both of you about this very eye-opening commercial from 1980. I want to put something up front, which is that I don't know anything about cars. I actually don't drive, and I don't know how cars work. The, the, it's all confusing, <laughs> combustion engines and whatnot. Uh, so I'm, hopefully, I'm hoping that one of my co-hosts here have a little more insight into this. But I do want to throw one thing out there before I throw it uh, first to you, Sarah, which is I feel like the word miser is a strange word to put into the name of a car. Any thoughts on the Dodge Omni Miser. Uh, I agree with you. That's a terrible name for a car. <laughs> I mean, it's just awful. You know, I ha sadly was around in 1980. Mm. Um, and I don't remember this. I mean, I was a child, but I don't remember this car at all. I mean, I just don't. And I f find myself, you know, I like cars and I know things. <laughs> but I don't, I don't know a Dodge Omnimizer like at all. So you know, I I don't know anything about this car other than it's ugly. Yeah. Well, I do have an image here that we can all look at of the Dodge Omnimizer. Sarah, you are saying that you think that it's an ugly car. It. I would drive one. Uh, you know, ironically today. <laughs> And I would be happy in the knowledge that I knew I was driving it ironically, even if anybody else didn't. But it's just ugly. And it's the one that I've seen is like that powder blue. No. I want to ask you about this commercial where uh, George Kennedy declares that America is not going to be pushed around anymore. What is your interpretation of what he means by that? Um, without thinking that it's 1980, I thought... Mm -hmm. Possibly that he was talking about, you know, the the OPEC nations. Oh, right. You know, be, you know, we're not going to be pushed around by having to pay high gas prices. But at this point, I mean, gas, I don't know if it was that expensive. I mean, it's not like it's licorice pizza time where the... Um, <laughs> I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> where the, where you know, everybody was standing in line for gas for like a day. And you had to go, depending on your license plate, I think it was, you had to go on certain days. Right, anyway, that's right. so I, I, yeah. So I think that it, we're beyond that time. So, um, you know, I don't know. I have an article here from a website called thetruthaboutcars.com, specifically about this, uh, this miser vehicle. And it says, it suggests that in the dark years, right after the 1979 energy crisis, many car oh, buyers right. felt that avoiding gas lines via extreme fuel economy was a worthwhile goal. And so Chrysler made an extra stingy version of the Dodge Omni slash Plymouth Horizon known as the miser. Uh, so I guess it does have to do with energy prices. Like the idea is, and this is just my interpretation, again, not being a car guy, is that other companies and wink other countries were creating cars 
that had very good gas mileage, and Americans were upset about the price of gas, so uh, Dodge decided that they were going to put out um, a car called the fucking Miser, and it was going to have really good gas mileage, and it was going to cost the low, low price of 5299 and America's, uh, Americans, I should say, lined up to buy the Miser. Liam, do you think I've interpreted this correctly? I think so. I mean... <clears throat> Yeah, I get I it, it it's telling that all the it's because my thought is the the gas prices and being pushed around and obviously like 1980 we're electing Reagan because we're all embarrassed by Jimmy Carter cuz apparently he's not man enough but this elderly a actor farmer. this elderly actor is somehow more of a man than Jimmy Carter. I don't know, some weird psychology was going on. But also it's telling that um, I think all the cars he mentions in the commercial are all not American models either, right? Mm. I think, well, maybe the Rabbit. I think the Rabbit might be domestic. I don't no, know. No, that's the BW. That's a Volkswagen. Oh, yeah. Mm. So it's all, so that's the idea. It, I think it, it's combining. America's not going to be pushed around by all these countries and their oil and not letting us have the oil we need, but also we're not going to be pushed around by other car companies from other countries who think they can make a more efficient car than we can. We're America. I, I don't mean to be controversial. Um, however, if if there's an oil crisis and yeah. other countries are making cars that uh, are better, are more fuel efficient, <laughs> and you're like, we're not going to be pushed around, meaning that we're not going to do the same thing as they are, but then you just go ahead and do it anyway, doesn't that mean you are being pushed around? Yes. <laughs> Doug, I don't know why you're looking at me to have an opinion on all of this. You're an American. <laughs> he's not saying he's not saying Canada's not getting pushed around anymore. We're used to being pushed around. <laughs> but but according to George Kennedy, this was the end of America being pushed around for all times. I might be editorializing a little bit there. <laughs> I was gonna say, I don't know. I don't know. Uh my understanding, unfortunately, is that the uh the Dodge Omnimizer unfortunately did not succeed in the marketplace uh and by uh just a few years later uh it was uh, no longer available to purchase liam uh sarah said that she didn't much care for the design of this car your thoughts on the dodge omnimizer and its design so it's sleek i would say according to this article it has stop. disco style tape stop, stripes stop mm-hmm. this is this is a car you put in your movie to let everyone know that things suck now like <laughs> it's literally a visual statement of like yeah this is when things were bad so here's a car to let you know it's bad. I mean, I can't hate too much because my mom had one of those really early Hondas that looked exactly like this. You know sure. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I get it. But it's it's not an attractive car at all. It, it looks real bad. Sarah, when I say the word miser, what comes to <laughs> mind? Uh, an old guy. An old guy? Mm-hmm. Tell like me an more. An old miser? Someone <laughs> 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 who's... Who's cheap? Yes, cheap. You know, and I guess at five thousand two hundred and ninety-nine dollars, it was cheap. Although I don't know, that seems pretty expensive. That for nice still food. seems expensive to me. Maybe it's because it's more money than I have available to myself uh, right now. So I, I, shouldn't I be able to afford a car from nineteen eighty in the year twenty twenty-two? Maybe it's just but, not a, a. Maybe my life just isn't going well. Maybe it's more expensive because it is American. Be- well, America's not going to get pushed around anymore. Liam, your thoughts on the word miser. What comes to mind when I say the word miser? Uh, Scrooge McDuck. Scrooge! Scrooge! Oh, you said Scrooge McDuck, did you? <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. A much more relevant cultural reference than the original Scrooge. 
Yes, I think Scrooge. Ducktales. Yes, well, uh, I'll mute that so we don't get a copyright <laughs> strike. Um, but uh, yeah, I, th I think I think the, the prototypical miser is Ebenezer Scrooge or Scrooge McDuck. Uh, and I don't know if that's the kind of person that you necessarily want coming to mind when you're thinking about your products. And I don't want to blame the poor marketing and the poor name on why the uh, the the Dodge uh, Omni Miser was not a success in the marketplace, but it may have been a contributing factor. What wasn't a contributing factor was his advertising featuring George Kennedy telling us that America will not be pushed around anymore. Just get a quick thought before we take our first break. Liam, was America pushed around in the remainder of the 1980s? Yeah, for the most part. <laughs> Sarah, do you agree with Liam's statement? Yes. And also now I will think of George Kennedy when I think the word miser. So thank you. <laughs> George Kennedy would have made a good Ebenezer Scrooge, I bet. Unfortunately, that's something we'll just have to imagine as opposed to being able to see in front of our own eyes. But one thing we can see in front of our own eyes is George Kennedy in a Death Wish inspired revenge movie filmed in Italy in the mid 70s. Yes, we're going to talk about the Human Factor, a very bizarre film from 1975. Uh, it has a lot of weird technical elements. It's got a doll that we're going to talk about at length, a score by Ennio Morricone. Lots to discuss. Let's take a break. We'll be right back right after this. Get him for your wife, for your children, and for all the innocent families they've killed. Because you are the Human Factor that will not be stopped. Want me to turn these animals over to the police so that they can be put in jail? Not in your life! The Human Factor, where the deadliest weapon alive is you. Rated R. After his family is brutally murdered for an unknown reason, a computer engineer sets out to find those responsible. It's 1975's The Human Factor, directed by Edward Dimitrik. Uh, he won the Hollywood 10, who was blackballed from Hollywood, but probably best known for his uh, film noirs from the 1940s, as well as the Kane Mutiny from 1954. Uh, was blackballed from the industry, but uh, this, I believe, was his final film uh, in 1975. We'll talk in a moment about whether it's a good one or not. Uh, written by Peter Powell. Uh, doesn't have another credit outside of the screenplay for the Kirk Douglas, Martin Sheen, uh, time travel back to Pearl Harbor film, The Final Countdown from 1980, co-written by Thomas Hunter, who also worked on that, as well as acting in a number of spaghetti westerns. The reason that these writers might be part of this is because this is a film that takes place and was filmed in the wonderful country of Italy. And in fact, it has a lot of, uh, of familiar kind of I would say a familiar tone for, for fans of Eurocrime films, which is something, of course, that Liam and I talk a lot about on our Wild in the Streets podcast. But we'll talk about that in just a little bit. Starring George Kennedy as John Kinsdale, John Mills as Mike McAllister, his good buddy, Raph Vallone as Dr. Lupo, who is... I, they call him Dr. Lupo the entire time, but I think he's just a cop who's, who's trying to figure out what's going on with everything. Uh, Barry Sullivan, Rita Tushingham as Janice, and Shane Rimmer as a CIA man. Well, I probably shouldn't have read far, that far down the uh, plot list. I am very curious to get both of your takes on this movie. It's very strange. I mean, I said before the break that this is basically a Death Wish knockoff. But if it is, it certainly doesn't follow the pattern entirely. Because we have George Kennedy working at this kind of top-secret computer government facility. And uh, his entire family is murdered. Like, he has three children and a wife. They're all murdered. He basically flips his lid and uses this computer technology to try to track down the 
ultra left-wing terrorists who are, are responsible. And he does. And then it all culminates in a massive supermarket massacre at the end of the movie. <laughs> Basically, the only major action scene comes in the final 10 minutes. But boy, I'll tell you, it is a doozy. But we'll talk about that in just a moment at first. First, I want to get some general thoughts, starting with you, Sarah Jane. Sarah, what did you think of The Human Factor? I thought it was okay. Oh, I mean, boy. I watch I watch a lot of Eurocrime movies, too, <laughs> although I've not been on your podcast. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I don't think it's of a, of a, those levels. You know, if this had starred like Thomas Millian, I mean, it probably <laughs> would have been amazing. But, um, you know, it it was good. Hmm. Yeah, I think I gave it three stars, maybe. Two and a, two and a half. Well, that's a big I difference. Two and a half is average. Three, better than average. So three, for me, see, that's not my rating system. Oh, okay. Well, fair enough. I mean, three, so what every, are we... Every movie starts at a three, and that's, that's just <laughs> good. And then it goes either, if it's not the, as, it's, if it's not good... Then it goes down a little bit. If it's better than good, then it goes up. Well, let me tell you about a five-star rating system and how two and a half lands on that system. <laughs> right in the middle. <laughs> I never give anything. I never give anything five stars. Uh, hardly anything is a five star on my letterbox. So that so. means that, you, and you said that you maybe gave this three stars, meaning that have- if you never give anything five stars, it's really just one away from being a perfect movie. <laughs> no five is a perfect movie <laughs> yeah but it never happens so if if that perfection oh, is impossible that's not true. it does happen but it has to be something like you know beyond the valley of the dolls or the you're speaking, you're, you're speaking in riddles now sarah i'm gonna throw it over to my other co-host liam o'donnell liam i know this was a first watch for you it wasn't for me uh, it was a movie that i had seen before and specifically chose for both of you to check out sarah says it's just okay maybe better than average liam what are your thoughts on the human factor I mean, I mean, yeah. Sarah's Sarah's Sarah Jane's not wrong. It's it's not an amazing film, and I think you are not doing it favors by comparing it to Eurocrime. Now, granted, that's not to say there aren't some terrible Eurocrime films, but on our podcast, Wild in the Streets, plug, uh, we've mostly it, we've mostly covered <laughs> movies that were pretty good, and so if I'm thinking too hard of some of those movies. Then uh, comparing this, I mean, this doesn't even hold up to our uh, recent thing we covered and didn't necessarily love. Lucio uh, Fulci's co- Contraband. Right, right, right. So uh, this is not as good as that. However, I'm thinking in that sense just of the quality of it. There are certain decisions that were made during the filming of this movie that are so, for me, inscrutable and just ridiculous that the movie started to become more charming to me, not because it's good, but because it's ridiculous. And I found myself, um, I wouldn't recommend, like, I wouldn't post it and be like, everyone needs to check out the human factor. But I did if, do that, by the way, on social media. Oh my God. <laughs> but if someone, but if someone asked me about it, I'd be like, it, you know, knowing the kind of film viewer they are, I might be like, yeah, you should. It's pretty fucking ridiculous. Or I might say, ooh, it's not up your alley. For me, Doug, uh, there's a number of things. Um, one is, uh, I don't think for some aspects of this character, George Kennedy is entirely miscast. Uh, 
Yes. Like he never yeah. reads for me as the computer nerd strategist doing all the calculations to figure out if we could bomb Russia into non-existence sure. for NATO. However, mm-hmm. when it's America's not going to get pushed around anymore. Anyway, please continue. <laughs> right. But then when he is literally the embodiment of an angry American overseas going on a murder rampage, unwilling to work with the police because they might deny him his access to his murder vibes, uh-huh. then he is completely well cast and sells it entire. I mean, him just wandering around the streets of wherever they are, I don't even fucking know, uh, with a chain in his hand, bleeding, ready to murder any any Italians he can find, but especially these terrorists. Yes. That all of that is fucking magical gold for me. Um and and how irrational it is. There are multiple times, and again, I, I'm unclear. We'll get to this, but I want to set it up now. I'm unclear yes. always what the message of the movie is, <laughs> because there are multiple times where the movie is very clear that he has fucked up. Like yes. he he has made the wrong decision in his murder rampage, and if he had only made a different decision, things might be better. On the other hand, he does single-handedly foil a hostage thing, and I want to correct you, Doug, because you said supermarket massacre, which would be accurate. Uh, No, 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 no. He is so good at murdering hostage takers that most of the people survive. He actually, if you take this movie on its surface, he fucks everything up until he truly goes crazy at the end, in which he's a perfect hero who saves everyone. The and, most, and it's crazy. The most amazing thing about that, and we will talk about it in a little bit more detail, is if he went in and a bunch of the hostages were immediately murdered, instead of being a hero, he would have been like a complete villain because – you know, yeah. th- there was yeah. still a possibility of that situation occurring and, and the hostages getting whatever they wanted. We weren't really sure, really sure what it was. Or maybe that the, the cops went in and, and, and whatever, right? The SWAT team or whatever. And, and then no one would have gotten hurt. But he basically put all of those people's lives at risk by driving a car through the front of a supermarket and just starting to blast away. By the way, one of the people killed in that final scene isn't killed. By George Kennedy, it's killed by a woman who picks up a machine gun and just starts blowing away a terrorist. Favorite part because it's so good. When that machine gun gets kicked towards her, I thought, "Oh, she better fucking use that." Her child is staring. Her child is staring at her mother, at his mother. Sorry, while she blows someone away, and she looks so traumatized. And we're supposed to think, "Hell yeah!" No, see, this is, this is, this I was is, like, yes. This is what I'm saying. This is what pushes me beyond the three-star rating that Sarah gave the film. Is because while there are, if you ask me to describe some of the some of the intrigue that leads us to the point where he finally figures out how these terrorists are finding Americans and killing them. Everything, not everything, but a lot of stuff leading up to that first moment he foils their attack. A lot of that is bad, Doug. A lot of the talking in this movie. And there's a lot of it leading up to this. Two characters are just engaging with each other in conversation is bad. It's like (laughs) not very well executed or written. And yet... That first scene where he finally has figured the shit out and there's this very nice lady at the door and she suddenly realizes, oh, no, we're caught. And then the dudes open the van and start firing. I was like, this is fucking awesome. Like, <laughs> because it's just I mean, it, it is so irrational. Like all that lady had to do was not freak out. And like they probably could have still murdered everyone in that house, but yes. it's like as soon as she realizes, like this lady's nervous. Oh no! Everything falls apart, and George Kennedy single handedly saves his family with a revolver when they have a van full of some machine. This is not how <laughs> guns work. 
Okay, if you have more than two people with a submachine gun, this, George Kennedy is done. But no, 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 no. He manages to scare away all these nasty terrorist types on his own. And you take that in account with this woman and her the shot of her shooting that machine gun, and in the shot is her child looking at her like like the child would have looked less surprised if Bobby was pooping in the aisle or something. If Bobby was puking on the child, the child would look less. The look on that child's face is like, what the fuck is happening right now? And it's, it's amazing. I want that on a T-shirt, just that image on a T-shirt. I want to make it very clear to the listeners uh, who have not seen this film. And by the way, yes, I am suggesting that you do so. Uh, The plot of it involves these leftist terrorists murdering Americans in Italy by putting ads in the paper for people looking for housekeepers. Like, I guess it's a housekeeping service. People call into it. And that is a way, because it's in English, I guess, that's a way for them to track down where the Americans are. Then they go to their house and just massacre these American families. No other reason except for the fact, I guess, that they're American. So that sequence that you were talking about, Liam, George Kennedy finds out about that this is what the plan is. He goes to one of the houses that he knows one of these quote-unquote housekeepers are headed to, and he fucking... Points a gun at all the members of the family and tells them someone's coming to kill you right now. Stay put. Why didn't he just tell them to leave? Why didn't he tell them it's to go out so, the back door and just he run? Needs his revenge. This is this again. This is where the he could have gotten it. They're coming to the door. He could have blown her away as soon as she knocked. This, this is this is the thing. This is the thing, Duck. This is where the movie I think is. It's broken. It's essentially a broken film because up until the moment where he is goddamn John Rambo in a in a military based commissary, up until that moment, every decision he makes is bad, and it goes wrong multiple times. Like he is not good, even when he decides to get one of these guys, take him to an alley where no one will see. He's literally like in the most public place ever, beating a man to death with a chain, yes. and then breaking his neck, and then it's like. Oh, no, they saw me. Oh, no, what do I do now? I guess I'll just lumber off a giant nine-foot blonde American bleeding. Oh, my God, I think a shaved gorilla attacked a man here in the middle of our town square. Uh, Sarah, I want to talk to you about something that really intrigued me about this film, and that is Shaggy Doo, a, a doll that belonged to George Kennedy's daughter and becomes a symbol throughout this film. Now, Shaggy Doo can be... Best described as like a raggedy and or raggedy Andy type doll, except fucking bizarre looking, like really strange looking. And in the opening scene where George Kennedy comes down for breakfast and we meet his family for the first and last time, <laughs> his daughter has Shaggy Doo spelled S-H-A-K-I-D-U. And they have a little discussion about Shaggy Doo. I guess his daughter really likes this fucking doll. And then he finds Shaggy Doo later. In the house of the terrorists where they're staying, because I guess they took Shaggy Doo because they think it's so fucking cool. He then carries it around for the rest of the movie, including a part where he goes inside a building and someone talks about how cool it looks instead of how fucking strange and disturbing it is. Uh, Sarah, tell me about Shaggy Doo. Why should we care about Shaggy Doo? You should absolutely fucking not care about Shaggy <laughs> It's hideous. <laughs> It's the, my husband watched this movie with me, mm-hmm. and as soon as that appeared on screen, we both were like, what the fuck is that? Were they trying to sell Shaggy Doo dolls? <laughs> you know, I was looking, and it doesn't it, isn't it like a puppet for some, like, folklore singer or something? Tell me more about the Shaggy Doo mythology. No, I, I literally just looked it up, like, two minutes before uh, this podcast, 
and I swear it's like on an album cover with some like folkloric. Look it up. Folk- I'm looking folk- it up right now. This is exactly the sort of thing I should have looked up well before we started recording this podcast. Oh my dear lord, you are correct. See? There is a, a <laughs> sh- and it says Shacky Do. I do. An Italian album called by Franco Maria Giannani, and it's called. Sorry, the 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 font on it is very very difficult for me to read. Um, so just one moment here because I want to make sure that I get this one hundred percent. I believe it's called Focacu Focacau. Uh, yeah, here we go. It's called Focaldo Focaldo, and uh. or or the band that this guy is in is called Focaldo, and then the album is just called Shaggy Doo, and it's got this fucking doll on the front. You are one hundred percent correct. That makes this crazier. <laughs> I know. It's insane. Who I'm the fuck? Not... <laughs> I mean, someone could write a horror movie about... I mean, fuck Annabelle. Sh- Sh- Shaggy Doo is just... It's awful. It's, it's wrong. So, it's so big. The face is so it upsetting. Is. And I, so this... Maybe this is just me. Maybe I'm just weirdo here, right? But it felt to maybe me... Maybe you are just weirdo. <laughs> It felt to me the whole time like George Kennedy might be mispronouncing his name. Yes. Yeah. Like the name of the thing is Shackadoo with a K. Yes. And then the rest of the movie, it really sounds like he's saying Shaggy Doo, which is not the name of the doll. Am I crazy? I thought it was Shaggy Doo until I saw the subtitles. By the way, I'm trying to find a copy of this album right now because wouldn't it be great for us to be able to listen to what some of this <laughs> From what I understand, it's a pretty rare prog album. Yeah. Yeah, an Italian Prague album, but <laughs> my husband actually probably has it because he has everything. Um, oh, I'm not sure I want to listen to it though. I mean, you know. And then were they trying to sell records? For Maybe these, I mean, this this album is from 1971, so that makes isn't it all that the more even more irrational. This is a child. This isn't a teenager, right? Are you telling me this little girl stationed in Italy because of her dad is a huge prog rock fan that she needed the fucking doll? What is going on? I I can't tell you how exciting this whole Shacky Doo uh, reveal has been to me today. But it's it's going to have to remain a little bit of a mystery for now. Listeners, if you know anything about Shacky Doo or uh, the the music involved in the Shacky Doo, and maybe this, maybe this album was huge in Italy, and that's why these dolls were everywhere. But the very fact that it became a, a plot point in this, and let let me reiterate, it's not just that the kid has this Shaggy Doo doll. There's a part later where George Kennedy, clearly suicidal, is sitting in a chair with a gun and <laughs> hugging the Shaggy Doo doll, <laughs> thinking about his slaughtered child. <laughs> but that makes it so funny. I mean, none of the moments were poignant because he's got this fucking doll. It's good. Does he drive with it? Like, isn't it in the front seat? With yes, Shaggy Doo is with him <laughs> always. I was surprised uh, he didn't what, like seatbelt it in. But what's more crazy, him with the Shaggy Doo, or the fact that these fucking terrorists who've just been going around Italy murdering Americans, one of them stopped and went, "Yo, you, we could probably sell the Shaggy Doo doll." We should, oh we, shit, I would have picked take that this up doll. totally had I mass murdered someone. I would have picked it up. <laughs> they're in the house. They're like, "What the fuck is that?" <laughs> Take that. Yeah, we're going to want that. Or, I mean, honestly, the other interpretation would be, holy shit, that's one of the Shaggy Dude dolls. You know, from the album we love so much because we're adults listening to Italian progressive rock music from 1970s. (laughs) 
I um, can't imagine how you could, either of you could feel middling about a movie that featured something as unusual as our friend Shaggy do here. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely, I wouldn't say middling. My definite mm-hmm. response to this movie, as you know, Doug, because I hit you with it immediately on Facebook Messenger was, what the fuck? Like, yes. like that's how I feel about this movie. But I don't <laughs> want to go so far as then to say it's great because it's not great, Doug. It's not a very good movie. But I do think it's Tell very entertaining. I do think it's very entertaining. <laughs> and I and I appreciate it for that. Like to me, Doug, here's the thing. If you want to sell me an expensive special edition Blu-ray of this movie, that's not gonna happen. But Oof. if you want to play this movie during a marathon of like exploitation films, I think this would be a fun thing between like you know, like this wouldn't. I, I don't know if I would go see this by itself, but sure. during a marathon with a crowd of people, if if it was on film, that would be fucking fun, man. I think this yeah. is this would be a fun crowd watch, and it would be cool. Uh, but I, you know, but I wouldn't make a T-shirt for it unless it was just the image of that mob shooting the machine gun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Liam, uh, I want to get your thoughts. We were talking about music just a moment ago because of that Shaky Do album. The soundtrack to The Human Factor is done by the great Ennio Morricone. Any thoughts on the soundtrack at all? I have to be totally honest with you. Uh, I mean, we've listened, we've heard, obviously, lots of Morricone soundtracks, but we've also heard a lot of his work in Eurocrime films, and if whether this is a Eurocrime film or not, I mean, it's up for debate, but I was kind of expecting it to have more kind of a funk flavor to it. It kind of was nondescript, I felt, throughout. Yeah, if you hadn't, ato- if, you know what I mean? Like, if that wasn't an important, like, factoid about the movie, I, I wouldn't have picked it out. I wouldn't be watching this movie with nothing and been like, this sounds like a Morricone. You know what I mean? Like, there's, there's there's nothing, I mean, at least by my ear, nothing set this soundtrack apart particularly. That doesn't mean it's bad. Like, I'm not saying it's a, it, that, that, the, that it's bad, but it, it didn't, like, stand out. It was just sort of there and it was fine. But it wasn't, you know, I, 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 I've bought my own fair share of Morricone record, like soundtrack records, because I, they're so good. Sure. And this, this didn't really stand out to me in that way. Sarah, any thoughts on the soundtrack to The Human Factor? Did it do anything for you at all? Well, when we saw the, the name in the credits, we're like, oh, this is, at least that's going to be good. Right. And then um, it was pretty nondescript until there was like... I can't remember. George Kennedy, I think, was driving through. Were they in Milan? I can't even remember anymore. I think they were in Rome at one point. Um, they were, but I don't think that's where he was based. Anyway, it doesn't matter. They were driving. He was driving through the streets, and there was some weird, you know, noises like a car, car. And I like, oh, that's cool. that's poor, that's poor. There was, there was like a couple of points where you know he throws in some weird shit, and I'm like, okay, that's there's the Enio. But other than that, it wasn't, you know, it was was nondescript for the most part. Yeah, I I would agree with that. Uh, I want to talk just a little bit about the technology in this movie, because this is a very technology tinged movie. As I said, at the very beginning of this episode, the whole kind of core of it is that George Kennedy. Hey, you know what? He's not like Charles Bronson. But what he does have available to him that no other person has is this amazing computer technology, which allows him to tap into computer databases all around the world. And it seems to work like magic at some point where like any communication that's ever occurred is available to him in some way. There's also a part in the film where uh, the police doctor, <laughs> the guy that is uh, his contact at the Italian police, he's showing him all the updated police 
uh, technology used to catch criminals, which is also kind of ahead of its time, though some of that seems like magic as well. Liam, what did you think of the technology on display in The Human Factor? I mean, obviously it's incredibly dated. We're talking about 1975. But there is an element of the idea of like these hacking into databases, which feels it like it's a little bit ahead of its time. The idea of the hacking into information networks is a little less interesting probably for your viewer in 1975 because they might not realize there are information networks to hack into. Like sure. nowadays we're all familiar with the idea that lots of things are computerized, but you know, Interpol did have uh again, I I mean I guess it's like a computer system, but it was more like a shared wire sort of network and like yeah, I guess you could hack that. Now, how much of those files were actually digitized at that point where there's right, anything right. to find i don't know that's the part that felt like fantasy to me like i believe that you could figure out a way to like get into those into those uh databases but how much of that information was even available in a way where you could read it you know what i mean like or, or how much information would even be available there i don't know that's the part that wasn't clear but like it, it, it was a good reminder that like you know even when they're playing, they're, they're, it's not Pong, right? But they're playing a video game. Yeah, it's like a racing game that's yeah. very, you know, it's 1975. It's, it's pre-Pong even. Right, but that's what I'm saying, though, is that, like, sometimes I forget that there were video games in 1970. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I think we have, I, I get such a recency bias that, like, I, I, you know, seeing that in the movie, I was like, oh, shit, okay. You know, like, that was even more than I was, even though it's obviously very rudimentary in its graphics, yes. it's like, oh, yeah, I guess in 1975 they could at least, you know, create that sort of image. Uh, but the other part about it, I think that you're sort of skipping that might be interesting for people, is that um, this is a precursor to the movie War Games. Yes. Because that's what he does, right? He conducts virtual war games and the part about that that's utterly terrifying is that here they are with this like retro computer without that much information and they're all in a room going yeah computer says it if we do this we would kill russia and survive so that's cool yeah. man like yeah. we figured out the bombing plan for us to murder the russians with nuclear <laughs> weapons but we'll be okay and like that part of the movie slides by like it's totally not important. Like that's, yeah, they don't e they don't even kind of lean on it in like a Doctor Strange love, like seven eight million killed tops that sort of thing, right? It's just it's just another part of their day to do these things where they're they're creating a a fake war and the and and on they they do kind of mock the military leadership a little bit. They do seem a little clueless in this movie, but they don't go very far with it. This is not a satirical movie in regards to that. No, and and it's. It's a movie in which there's a lot of potential for moralizing on a lot of different issues, and obviously that could get tiresome, you know, in a sense. But the fact that this movie doesn't seem to want to suggest a moral take on any of the events it portrays in any way, <laughs> by the end I went man, this dude really wanted to avoid a perspective of any kind yeah. in this movie. And, you know, that honestly made it a little interesting to me. Like, I can't believe he managed to cover all these weird things and and, and try to make it completely like, yeah, that happened, and I have no opinion on it, you know? We, we do get to see George Kennedy doing some phone freaking in this, uh, going to the office and, and, and basically setting up a, 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 basically a network allowing him to transfer data. I mean, it's pretty pretty cool because of how, just how old this is, right? Mid-70s. Right, right. And I mean, even if they get some of the suggestion of the technology wrong, it is cool to see something kind of engaged in a way that, I mean, what other movies were really doing it, especially packaged in a revenge thriller type way. Sarah, your thoughts on the use of technology in The Human well, Factor? 
I wanted to say that he doesn't just go to the office. He hoodwinks a travel agent and <laughs> gets into her agency and gets then her to bring him coffee. <laughs> tells her, Oh, I'm here to work on the system. And then uses her computer system to phone in and hack that thing. And then later on he goes back there. <laughs> Like he's got a whole, he does have a whole system all set up. And I thought, what the fuck? Didn't she know like when he left the first time? Because I don't think it's the same day. I think he goes back in there like, you know, uh, I guess it's three days before the next thing. But he goes back there and she's just like, oh, hey, how's it going? Sit down. You know, it's <laughs> insane. I made well, a note of that because I was like, what? So, yeah. He does manage to get away with a lot of things in this movie just on the strength of his bullshitting. And, like, it, to the extent that, like, you'd almost think that he was a character who was trained in espionage or something. Yeah, there's, like, there is an element of not. that. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. At least <laughs> that we, not, not that we know of, certainly. Right. But you'd think there, there's, again, he's been in the service, but everyone knows someone who's been in the service who isn't, uh, you know, James Bond meets John Rambo. Like this dude can do anything. He can he can kill you in the street with his bare fucking hands, or he can like trick his way into whatever office he needs to to do whatever. Liam, it's because he has an ethos, and that ethos is America is not going to be pushed around. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, that's what it ends up feeling like in the end. Honestly, that whole supermarket, by the way, uh, I, I wouldn't even have happened. Had he fucking just talked to the police and 100%. say that he figured out? Of course, out. yes. Because, <laughs> and then they'd say to him, "Well, you know, now that you figured out what they're doing, they know you figured out what they're doing, and now they're going to change their method. What the fuck?" Yeah, so, it's his fault. I mean, he, yeah. he is responsible for a number of deaths. I have to say, I get the feeling that at the end of this movie, after he's massacred all these people, he's probably still not going to go to jail. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> Not um, only is he not going to go to jail, Doug, he single-handedly changed the policy of the local police and how they deal with terrorists. Because yes. they can never again be like, well, we've got to wait and figure it. It's like, no, remember that time that one fucking American came in and murdered all the terrorists? <laughs> like, that's what we got to do now. Like, again, it, something I you know said sort of off, but I, I want to bring up here is like, if it <sighs> – if it wasn't for all the ways that the movie sort of shows you him making mistakes, this would be the most conservative movie I could ever think of in the sense right. that we're in 1975. Terrorism is like a real factor. And there is a large chunk of people in the world, but especially in the U.S., whose response to hear about terrorists is, well, just murder them all. Like every time there's like a hostage crisis, there's always a chunk of I'm sure lots of places all over the world, but at least in the U.S., people going, well, just shoot them. Like, I don't see the yeah, big yeah. deal. Just kill everyone, and then we don't have to worry about this anymore. And that's what he does. He literally does <laughs> the thing. He just goes, I guess I'm just going to go in there and kill everybody. And and he does it without intentionally sacrificing a single hostage. Like, based on what we see on camera, he is not responsible for the deaths of any hostages. Meanwhile, one, we, one, one police officer or, or one other person dies, but it's because they try to go in through the roof right, and it, yes. one of the terrorists kills him. Completely yes. not his fault in that case. Meanwhile, if a random mom in a supermarket picked up a machine gun and started shooting it, half the people in the store would be dead because she'd lose control and bullets would go everywhere. <laughs> I mean, that's just your opinion, Liam. <laughs> 
Um, yes, the final ten minutes of this movie are absolutely batshit. Really, I think, I mean, a clear highlight of the entire movie. But the other thing I just wanted to talk about in regards to the supermarket sequence at the end is that this supermarket is on an army base. So it is uh, being visited solely by Americans, though it looks like there's some Italian staff in there. Um, when they open the supermarket... Literally dozens of people come flooding in as soon as they open the door. I, that was so – like the, the, the idea of the supermarket filling up within five minutes was so bizarre to me. I guess though maybe on a army base people just need their – maybe it's only open for two hours a day or something like that. Just an odd thing. Uh, Sarah, any other thoughts on this on this action sequence at the very end of the movie? My husband, because I said immediately, oh, they're in a commissary. And he's like, what? That's a supermarket. And I'm like, yeah, but no, it's on a base. And he's like, since when do supermarkets on bases look like American supermarkets? They do call it a commissary in the dialogue. Yeah, I I know. And I looked at it when they said that. I'm like, see, it's a commissary. And I did that too. He's like, (laughs) (laughs) but because he imagined it just commissaries to be just like some dank cave i guess or some room the cinder block room that just has aisles of food but not like a supermarket i don't know i've never been on a commissary uh, on base before so i don't know do they look like that i mean an excellent question yeah i have no idea but certainly in this film they look exactly like an american (laughs) large even to the point where even to the point where they have like the stacked up like pyramid of soup, right? That 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 you still are trying to sell like a <laughs> like you would in an American supermarket. But the idea, though, the part of it that was confusing to me, and again, this might be exactly what it's like. I don't know, but that you would be on an army base in Italy, right? And you would be like, I need to go and get the American products at the commissary because I couldn't possibly go to an Italian grocery store to get Italian products. Like, it just seemed like weird. Like, that's what I was confused by is like, why wouldn't you just go shopping at the local grocery store? Why would you need this? Like, I I just. It's important that they be able to buy American products. Anyway, I need to interrupt both of you because I'm looking at a website called www.militaryonesource.mil, which has an article about commissary exchanges. And it says commissaries are basically your neighborhood grocery store located on military installations worldwide. The commissary sells food and household items at prices that are often below other grocery stores. Liam, that's your explanation. The whole thing is strange because then it's like, uh, I don't. If this is such an essential aspect of this base, the the other part of this that's really unbelievable, Doug, is how these these terrorists are able to set themselves up in this grocery store so easily. Yeah, like very it's like easily. The and getting easiest, on the military base is very easy for the them. The easiest as well. invasion I've ever seen of 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 U.S. land, like because technically an, an army base that's like. U.S. territory, right? Like that's we claim that that's our sovereign territory, and you shouldn't be able to just drive onto it with a van full of paramilitaries unchecked in any way. Yeah, yeah, especially because it's reinforced again and again that there is a lot of security to get in on the base. So it's actually particularly confusing that that's allowed to happen. I need to talk to both of you about the actor George Kennedy, who stars in the movie The Human Factor from 1975. This is the most. <laughs> George Kennedy that we've seen in a film so far. Certainly a lot more than Airport. Certainly a lot more than uh, Braindead on our most recent episode. This is a film that stars George Kennedy in every sense of the word. He's in almost every sequence. We're with him all the way. How do you think he acquits himself? Liam, you've already mentioned, Liam, 
that you don't think that he's very believable as a computer technology expert, but more so as a schlubby death wish wannabe. Uh, so I'm going to start over with Sarah. Sarah, your thoughts on George Kennedy as John Kinsdale in The Human Factor. Um, I'm going to agree with Liam. I think, uh, you know, as an avenging father husband, you know, I buy it. It, it is kind of funny to see him um, lumbering around the streets, you know, trying to run across rooftops and things like that. That was funny. So Amazing. <laughs> he, he doesn't, you know, he's not your typical action star of, you know, of modern times. Sure. But then again, I enjoy watching him, you know, running like I, I mean at one point when he was running i was like you know hulk running hulk screaming you know <laughs> when he finds his family murdered and he yeah. wails oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Sorry. i mean I, I hate to laugh let's put a little audio of that right now so everyone can hear it It's it is ridiculous, but also there's some real pathos there. I would say. I also want to. I just want to throw it out to the both of you, as a lumbering oaf man myself, who is of similar size to George Kennedy and who works in the field of technology. I find him somewhat believable as a computer expert of that time. That's just my feeling on the subject, uh, especially of that era where you know it's not necessarily nerdy Eddie Deason types are necessarily the, the kind of people that would be working on large computer systems. But over to you, Liam, your thoughts on George Kennedy in this film. As much as I disagree with you, Doug, and I think he's a bit miscast for those things, it doesn't matter because the important part of the movie is not whether or not he belongs in that room with the other nerds. The point, the, what matters about the movie is, can he storm a grocery store with a handgun and take out 12 people? And I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever, it's fine. You know, can he, can he murder a man in cold blood while an Italian granny watches him? Yeah, of course he fucking can. Like, I just... Can and he grab a switchblade by the blade. By the blade. You, when he does that, it does make me like cringe a little bit. But yeah, I yeah. wasn't like, get out of here. I was like, nah, should have kept that knife away from George Kennedy. That was bad on your part. That guy should have kept man. in mind the human factor. <laughs> exactly. The, the human factor of his inhuman meat paws. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, like, he's. This is what sets. I would go so far as to say you take George Kennedy out of this and you put in. Any number of like handsome but less lumberingly charismatic people, and this movie becomes for me a chore. Yeah. Not just not as good, but a chore because there's a lot of parts of this movie that aren't very dynamic, that move slower than they need to. And as great as the crescendos are, there's a lot to get through there. And yet, there are moments where even though I don't feel like the scene is working. I'm enjoying George Kennedy in the scene. Like, I just yeah. like him. And so, like, for me, this movie works because it's a George Kennedy movie more than, oh, George Kennedy happened to be in a relatively good Death Wish wannabe film. No, 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 no. This is a uh, fun, weird George Kennedy movie. It's It's... The fun thing about it is that it even exists, right? That right. someone thought to put George Kennedy in this kind of role <laughs> in this movie in Italy in 1975. It just feels like something that 
if you tell people about it, if they know who George Kennedy is, that it's just like that. Wait, he's like a death wish. Like he's he's shooting guns at the. It just sounds so bizarre that you almost need to see it, and that's what I'm telling you, listeners. You have to see it. I just want to throw one more thought out before we finish up our discussion here on the Human Factor, which is that this film. It co-stars John Mills, the the wonderful British actor, uh, as George Kennedy's best friend, Mike McAllister, in it. Am I the only one who thought that he was going to turn on John Kinsale the entire movie? Like, at some point, he was going to be involved with the villains? And it's always like, it feels like every scene is setting up that that's going to happen, but it never does. Was that just me, Sarah? Did you think he was going to be a villain at some point? Uh, It did feel like he was going to turn, or maybe Barry Sullivan, just because, um, to interject Barry Sullivan here just because he was always drunk and I thought maybe something would spill on accident sure no pun intended but you know (laughs) so I I wasn't sure but seeing him acting with John Mills and Barry Sullivan and I guess Rita touching him because she wasn't in it that much but not that much though apparently I, I have not seen One Night in Soho yet but apparently she's in that film she is she's the grandma or ah. the lead's grandma um but it's like Mills and Sullivan are like in a totally different kind of school of acting than George yes. Kennedy. Yep. So it's weird to see them see them together, you know. <laughs> Liam, I'm just finishing up here. Did you think that John Mills was going to screw over George Kennedy in this movie? Not just I, I would say it wasn't just him. It's that the movie the movie wants to have a, a bit of an air of mystery, like it's like the parallax view or something. Sure. Like it, it wants to be paranoid. And it's not. There's nothing to be like as soon as you see the terrorists, you know they're the fucking terrorists. There's no secret cabal. There's no one that there's yeah, no like even the within surface. the police, there doesn't seem to be any suggestion. No. Like he should have went to the police in this case, because they're shown to be pretty competent and on his side for the most part. Again, the whole movie would be about how wrong vengeance is. Until the end when he's completely justified because he manages to single-handedly save an entire grocery (laughs) store and murder all the people he wants to murder without anyone getting – literally at any point during that grocery store scene, Doug, any one of those terrorists could have gone, while he's shooting Tina, I could come around the corner and shoot him in the back. But no, they all just sit there going, I don't know. He's very tall. I don't know what to do right now. (laughs) That was The Human Factor from 1975. You can currently watch it on the Tubi streaming service, uh, which I would recommend that you do. If you have any thoughts on it, why don't you drop us a line via our Cinema Smorgasbord or Cinepunk's websites. Uh, We always like to hear back people's thoughts on both George Kennedy as an actor and on his films. On the next episode of George Kennedy is my co-pilot, the great Albert Pyun has been in the news lately, not for great reasons, unfortunately. But we did want to pay a small tribute to him on the next episode of George Kennedy is my co-pilot. We are going to talk about... 1985's Radioactive Dreams, uh, the uh, kind of sci-fi, tinged, noirish movie. I have not seen it for many years. I, my memory is that maybe George Kennedy is not in it for a very substantial nope. part, but nope. that that's fine because we're going to talk about it on the next film. I hope you're both excited to talk about 1985's Radioactive Dreams. But for now, I want to know, Liam and Sarah, where people can find your work on the internet, uh, let's start with you, Sarah. You mentioned that you've written some reviews lately. Where can people find that work? Where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, FookThis, F-O-O-K-T-H-I-S. Uh, I'm the same name on every uh, social media, on Facebook, on Letterboxd. Um, you can find my recent reviews on the AustinChronicle.com uh, website. I'll, of course, link those in the show notes, as per usual. Liam, lots of exciting stuff happening at Cinepunks, lots of podcasts coming out. Where can people find your work there? 
Uh, well, if they head over to Cinepunks.com, C-A-N-E-P-U-N-X, they can, of course, check out uh, my other podcasts, Cinepunks and Horror Business, as well as uh, other members of the Cinepunks family like Wine and Cheese or Twitch of the Death Nerve or uh, Tomb of Ideas. Um, they can, of course, dive into our back catalog uh, on Cinema Smorgasbord at our website, cinemasmorgasbord.com. Uh, Cinepunks is on social media, C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, and Cinema Smorgasbord is on Twitter, at Cinema Smorg, S-M-O-R-G. You can, of course, follow Liam on Twitter, at Liam Rules, that's R-U-L-Z, and I'm on there as well, at Doug underscore Tilly, that's T-I-L-L-E-Y. If you enjoy this podcast or other podcasts under the Cinema Smorgasbord umbrella, why don't you leave us a review on your podcast provider of choice? We always appreciate it very much. Remember to subscribe, and hey, why not tell a friend? It's the best way to spread the word of Cinema Smorgasbord and the great George Kennedy to the world. But for now, we need to take a little break. We're going to be back very soon with 1985's Radioactive Dreams. Good night, everyone. Night, night. <laughs>